Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash my money health check. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Witch Shorts podcast. I'm Rob Lilly. Now this is a new podcast from us here at Witch, I'm sure you know that by now, and we are the UK's consumer champion. Now in these episodes, we give you the chance to listen to our very best articles from across witch.co.uk and our suite of magazines. If you like what you've heard so far or like what you hear today, then please do remember to subscribe, tell a friend, and would also love it if you'd leave us a review and a rating too, wherever you're listening. Now this week, with summer holiday plans potentially on your mind, we're hoping to provide a bit of inspiration by taking you to the Channel Islands. In it, we reveal why it's time for exotic yet overlooked Jersey to step out of the shadows. To read us this article, written by James Stewart, I'll hand you over to Grace Farrell and Harry Kind. I craved escape this year, didn't we all? I dreamed of tropical beaches during lockdown and scanned greenlit destinations for a fix of bath-warm briny when travel resumed. Then, in late July, I considered the faff and the cost of pre-flight tests and locator forms and holidayed two hours drive from home instead. It was my most blissful break in years. Jersey is a bit like that. In the before times, pre-pandemic, it hid in plain sight, obscured by more exotic islands. Right now, it may be the holiday destination we need. The largest, most stylish of the Channel Islands, requires no fit-to-fly test for vaccinated Brits, has no queues at immigration. Indeed, we don't need so much as a passport to visit this crown dependency. Ditto your return. Yet so close is the Cherbourg Peninsula, 14 miles away, that an east wind probably carries a whiff of camembert. On a sparkling day in capital St Helier, I walk through handsome Georgian streets to Royal Square. It's pleasingly continental, all sycamore trees and neat rows and bottle green benches. Here, the cock and bottle declares itself to be a brasserie and a traditional pub, which sounds oxymoronic until you cross its terrace. Once you spot it, this bicultural quirk is everywhere. Geezers suck pints around tables, seemingly nicked from a Parisian bistro outside the Pearson pub. In the Jersey markets, La Bouche offers crab bisque alongside bacon and eggs. Street signs are bilingual and, intriguingly, rarely correlate. Royal Square becomes Place du Marche. King Street is rendered Rue de Derrière. It's as if two St Heliers, one Anglo-Saxon, one Gallic, coexist side by side. In a way, they do. Jersey was part of the Duchy of Normandy. It was on the victorious side in 1066. Sure, the island threw its lot in with England when King John surrendered his Norman duchies to France in the 13th century. 
And English has been the first language since the 1950s. You rarely hear its original Norman tongue, Gerrier. But the self-governing bailiwick of Jersey is self-evidently not the United Kingdom. I feel more Norman than British, one man tells me. I go to St Oban afterwards, tracking around a vast bay to arrive to a harbour of Brittany dreams. Shutters and wrought iron balconies, fish restaurants on the wharf, Breton tops for sale in Jackson Yacht Services, Chandlery, also the post office. Old boys in shorts messing about in boats. I inhale the tang of salt and seaweed, as one might a fine wine. I'm heading for one of the most singular walks you'll ever experience. After an attempted French invasion in 1781, Seymour Tower was erected in Grouville Bay. Usually it's two miles offshore, but when the pendulum of the world's third biggest tide swings low and Jersey almost doubles in size, you can visit on foot. From Seymour Slipway, I head across a seabed which was 40 foot underwater just five hours earlier, on which walkers occasionally find the spearheads of hunters who tracked game over Iceland tundra. Neptune has granted me a two-hour pass to reach a stocky tower like a chess piece. After that, the tide will rise by up to six foot an hour. Currents will race through gullies at hazardous speeds. Every year, imprudent walkers time it wrong and have to bolt to a tidal refuge. I set off briskly, yet the scenery gets in the way. In rock pools like aquatic gardens, fish flit among blousy seaweeds and dusky purple anemones. Drifts of beautiful tiny shells shade sandbanks, and oyster catchers and turnstones skitter in the shallows. This coast is designated a Ramsar wetland of global significance. The briny air is as heady as champagne. The light glitters. Inevitably, I run out of time for the tower, so divert towards a tractor trundling between ridges in the shallows. Oysters, explains John Lasselia, owner of Seymour Oysters. Jersey now produces more oysters than the UK combined, a historic trade recently revived following its demise in the 1870s. Six centuries after his ancestors planted their first Jersey Royal Spud, John switched to oysters in 1998. No, not a big change, he says. His 13 hectares of oyster beds are like a big field, with rows of oysters in sacks instead of potatoes. And instead of the weather forecast, you need tide tables. You can predict the tides. Grovel Bay is the perfect location. We have this flat shore and this brilliant tide with strong currents that bring food and prevent disease. John shucks me an oyster fresh from the sack. It tastes of brine, minerals, slight sweetness, a heady hit of pure coast. I go to Gory afterwards. Once busy with oyster workers, the harbour today is the stuff of postcards. Cafes and restaurants like Michelin-starred Bohemia in pretty pastel houses arcing beneath Mount Orgai Castle, a fortified position long before William of Normandy hatched a wheeze to invade England. From its battlements, you can see beaches and hotels in France. Yet my attention is drawn across Grovel Bay. Seymour Tower is awash in a turquoise sea. I promised you beaches earlier, and no satisfying holiday is complete without one in my book. And Jersey's 48-mile coastline has some belters. Go to St Breladay's Bay for white sand, gorgeous sea, pine fuzz headlands and chic glass-walled cafes like Jersey Crab Shack and Oyster Box. Portlet Bay around the corner is wilder, more romantic, 
its beach inching out to an islet as the tide falls. Surfers favour St Juan's, where Atlantic rollers foam to a westerly bay. This sweeps to the splendid stub of Corbier Lighthouse, worth a visit at low tide. I explore north. Signs request I slow down for red squirrels. That's sage advice, because inland Jersey is as cosy and cute as a Beatrix Potter book. There are pipsqueak bosky valleys and tiny fields of Jersey cows. Honesty boxes sell homegrown veggies. As delightful is its discombobulation. Names like Rue des Boots and Trois Bras appear on my sat-nav. In St Martin's village there's a Salle Publique and Renoirs and Fauvelles are buried outside the church. Yet the pub is called the Royal and there's a branch of M&S Simply Food. Where is it? In La Ville École, of course. I'm en route to Bonnui Bay. A couple of miles beforehand, I park to arrive by the coast path that circumnavigates the island. You should allow four days to hike the full route. It's a lovely walk. Crickets chirrup and a wren darts among the mossy boughs of a stunted oak. Cliffs tumble to shingle coves. The sea murmurs ancient secrets I can almost understand. It feels another island to the south. Maybe there's truth to those signs about the north. Bonnui Bay appears around a headland, the perfect harbour at the end of the world. Just fishing boats, crusty lobster pots and a beach cafe serving homemade cake and tea. That's another reason to love Jersey, incidentally. Most beaches have a cafe, from the chic venues of St Brella Days to a food truck on breeze blocks at Bouley Bay. Driving west through granite villages the colour of Demerara sugar, past gated manoirs pillowed in lavender, I wind up at Plemont Bay. Arrive at high water and you'll think it a wasted trip. Yet the falling tide reveals acres of pale sand in rust orange cliffs and a sea of colours that would make a peacock blush. Guernsey and Sark are blue-grey outlines on the horizon. You never get used to the view, Paul McDermott tells me. A chef and owner of Plamont Beach Cafe, he should know. Plamont is unique. There's always something to see. Cruise ships to other islands, sometimes sea dolphins and puffins. Even when you live here, it feels like being on holiday. You can escape from everything here. Like Jersey itself, in fact. I'm ashamed to admit I've always considered it a little parochial. But if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that there's as much wonder close to home as on any far-flung destination. All it takes is the mentality to see it. Right now, Jersey is the antidote to COVID gloom. Too small? I didn't see it all in a week. One day we may be tempted to such exotic shores again. Until then, this will do nicely. Merci beaucoup. Thank you to Grace and to Harry and thank you to James Stewart, the journalist behind that original piece of writing. Remember, you can find more articles you'll find useful every day on everything from money and technology to home and garden advice by signing up to one of our many free email newsletters. You can do that at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletters. We'll be back next week for another episode of Witch Shorts. And thanks for listening. Witch Shorts was produced by me, Rob Lilly, while the exec producer was Angus Farker. <laughs>